back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by our lead pastor, Dave Ferguson, as we continue our series, God Behaving Badly. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Uh, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good, good, good. I want to say hello to our, our digital audience that's uh, joining us. I'll tell you, here, here's where I want to start. Um, if, you, if you had any kind of a, like a Sunday school experience growing up, show of hands, or even confirmation class, a kind of Catholic version, or some kind of, yeah, let me see, oh, hold them up there. Wow, okay, that's more than, I, more than I thought. Very nice. Okay, if you know that, then, I mean, there's certain stories in the Bible that are kind of big hits, big hits when it comes to like, you know. Kids, right? Like, uh, for example, Noah's Ark. If you remember when you were a little kid, they may remember flannel graph. Oh wow, you got some old people in here. Because I mean, they would put they they have the felt on the back, and then especially with Noah's Ark, they take the animals two by two and put them up on the on the flannel board. Okay, some of you are explaining to your kids what this is. Okay, there you go. That's right, flannel graph. Right? That was that was kind of a big hit as a story. Or how about Zacchaeus? Anybody remember that song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Help me out, or you're going to just hear me. Man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Wow, this is weird. And as the Savior, he looked up in the tree. Big finish. And he said... Okay, there's about two-thirds of the crowds going like, wow, is this a cult? What is happening? <laughs> what is happening here? All right. I mean, there were certain stories, okay, for kids, like in Sunday school. I mean, you just loved kind of those stories. But here's the truth. There's other stories that you never would hear in Sunday school because they were just strange. They were just weird. And in fact, they were downright alarming. I mean, you don't get too far into the Bible. You get to Genesis chapter 19, and all of a sudden... I mean, God sends two angels to, to, to this wicked city. He says, hey, if I can't find ten righteous, I'm wiping out the whole place. I mean, and if that's not hard enough to hear, it gets even worse. These two disguised angels show up. They take up shelter at a guy named Lot's house. And the men from this evil city start demanding of Lot that they turn over the angelic visitors to them to be tortured and raped. Read it for yourself. crazy stuff. Lot at first tries to reason with them. But then he just kind of gives in too, doesn't stand up to them. And in fact, he even offers to send out, look at that, his two daughters to satisfy the mob. Who, who does this kind of stuff? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, really, I mean, of course it's not in Sunday school. And it's hard to know even what to, as adults, it's hard to know what to do with a story like this. And here's the problem. There's stories like these that led lots of people to, to believe that the Bible is, among many things, sexist. And that God, among many things, himself, is, is somehow sexist. And if you're disturbed by stories like this, or in some cases, maybe some of you have even found yourself where you've walked away from God because you tried to wrestle with stories like this, you're not alone. But I'll tell you what, I want you to hold on to that.
Because here, here's what's going on. And, and John mentioned, we're in week number two of a series called God Behaving Badly. And I, 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 I am loving this series because what we're doing is we are just head on tackling some of the difficult passages in the Old Testament, trying to make sense out of these sometimes seemingly contradictory pictures that we have of God. Now today what we're going to do is we want to ask a very specific, but I also think a very important question, and it's this question, is God sexist or empowering? Now, before we dive into this, I want you to remember, if you were here last week, it'll be a reminder, if you're first time, we're just getting the series started. Um, during this series, we're actually using the personal name for God, Yahweh. All right? Say this after me, Yahweh. Okay, Yahweh. It's how God is referred to, actually, in the Old Testament, over 6,800 times. And the name Yahweh just reminds us that God wants to be on a first name basis with his people. Now, if, if you were like me, uh, growing up, I was not allowed to call adults by their first names. Anybody else? It was like Mr. and Mrs. So like my Sunday school teacher, I was talking about Sunday school, right? My Sunday school teacher was Mr. Walrath. Like I'm in my 50s now. If Mr. Walrath walked in, I would say, hello, Mr. Walrath. He's in his 80s or 90s. I don't know how old, he's still around. But I would say, hello, Mr. Walrath. I would never say, hi, Ed. It would just be weird. I remember him even saying, Dave, you can call me Ed. It just, I don't know, it just felt too personal. There's something personal about calling someone by their first name. But here's the thing. God desires that kind of personal interaction with us. So he actually gives us permission. No, 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 call me by my personal name, Yahweh. And this is important that we kind of embed this right at the beginning of this, this conversation today. Because here's the thing. Please hear this. What we believe about God will directly affect how we approach God. Okay, whether it's these stories or him really wanting to be personal. What we believe about God will directly affect how we approach God. And it's interesting, the people in the Old Testament who lived in the times of these kind of stories, who knew Yahweh best on a personal basis, they desired to be close to him. They desired to be close to him. So keep that in the back of your mind. So let's tackle this question. Is Yahweh sexist or empowering? And as we do that, um, let's, just, let's just make sure we're on the same page. Definition here, right? Sexist. What's that mean? Characterized by or showing prejudice, stereotyping, or discrimination, typically against women, on the basis of gender. Now, before we get to examine kind of the larger arc of this question, let's go back, because I don't want to leave you guys hanging, at Genesis 19, that very, very, very disturbing story we never heard in Sunday school. Because there's a few things we have to consider when we come up against these stories, and I'm just going to have time for one of them here. First of all, that story, the culture in which those events took place, it was a very sexist culture. No getting around it. But understand, just because the culture was sexist and the Bible records a sexist story that happened in a sexist culture doesn't mean that Yahweh is sexist. In fact, think of it this way. Um, I brought with me a, uh, a Sunday Chicago Tribune. I still get one of these delivered on Sunday mornings to my, uh, in my driveway. Anybody remember this? This is called a newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> and if you read this newspaper like I did this morning, what you'll find inside here, there, there, are, there are stories about murders. There are stories about assaults. There are stories about crime. There are stories of the, the White Sox 2-0 win and Giolito being the pitcher of the month. Thank you to both the White Sox fans in the room. Um, all right, so that's, 
But here's the thing about those, those stories about murders and assaults and crimes. Just because it's in the newspaper doesn't mean the editors endorse those evil acts. They're descriptive. Are you following this? They're descriptive, not prescriptive. They describe what is, not necessarily what should be. And so just because something's inside the Bible doesn't mean that Yahweh approves of the action. In fact, in this case, the opposite is true. For example, if we take a look at this story, as awful as it is, God wasn't the one who offered up those girls. Lot did it. And if we continue to read through the story, Lot is always painted in a very negative light because of that. And as the story continues, take a look at verse 10 here. Those two angels sent by Yahweh, God himself, they actually come to protect Lot's daughter and actually even protect Lot by pulling him back in and shutting the door. And then in the next verse, towards the end of the story, the evil men of that city, they were actually punished by being blinded. So what you have is you do, you have, I mean, it's just a horrific story from start to finish. In fact, we had a long conversation where we even kind of, definitely not Sunday school, but even, even if we go there with you guys on this story. But what we do find in the story is that Yahweh acts justly. And there's nothing in the story that suggests that Yahweh condones the evil of these men or the sexist actions of Lot. If anything, in this story, the takeaway, it's a great example of how far human beings have strayed from Yahweh's original dream, original desire for his people. Okay, so what is God's, what is Yahweh's original desire, original intent for his people? And particularly, as we're talking about today, his intent for women. And maybe in in this particular context, as it applies to in the church, leading and teaching those things. Well, if we get over to the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, there are passages of the New Testament, particularly a couple of them, that seem to preclude, seem to preclude women leading or teaching in some way. But to really understand the whole of it and to make sense out of those, you have to take into account all of the Bible, all of Scripture. And I think when you take into account all of Scripture, we're going to go there for a little bit, and I'm going to give some back up behind this. I would agree with New Testament scholar Scott McKnight, and I think we do around here at Community, that in the same way that there was to be no cultural or racial distinction, part of God's dream, his intention for the way the world would work, starting with his church, that there would also be no social status prejudice and there would be no sexual prejudice. Now, I think, though, for us to understand, stick with this, God's original dream, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, that very first book of the Bible in Genesis, especially the first few chapters. So if we start there, in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, what we have in Genesis 1, let's go there first, Genesis 1. The universe is created, Yahweh creates the animals, the birds, the fish, and then finally humans. Humans are uniquely created. We have wonder, we have thought, we have imagination, we have invention, we have wit, and we're made in the image of God. And it's significant, and it needs to be pointed out, it says that women are made like him. That women are made in the image of God, that they are God-like. I thought maybe I'd get an amen on that one. No? No? Nothing, ladies? I mean, because guys, guys... There we go. Guys, we already kind of think we're God-like, so I didn't need to even say that. Um, But what we see from the beginning, okay, the very beginning right here, both men and women are created by Yahweh to be reflection of his godliness. I'll tell you what, just so it sinks in, turn to someone near you and say, hey, you are God-like. You are God-like. There you go. You are God-like. Very good. So that's Genesis 1. We get that right there. You are God-like. Then we go to Genesis chapter 2. 
Okay, in the creation account, we have two different uh, kind of accounts of the creation here. And what we see is Yahweh creates man first, and then from man's rib, he creates the woman. Now, some would suggest that the order indicates some kind of a hierarchy. But actually, if you think about it, that's kind of a stretch. Because if the order of creation says something about the importance of creation, you'd have to conclude then that darkness is more important than light, because it was first. That plants and trees are more important than animals. And that all those things, darkness, light, plants, trees, animals, are all more important than people, more important than you and I. But what we actually see is with the order of creation, it gets more complex and more wonderful as the day go, days go on with human beings be kind of this, we're kind of, the human beings are kind of the crescendo of all of God's creation. So if you ever thought there was something significant to the fact that God created man first and woman second, you might be right, okay? Let's be honest. Typically, the, what, the first draft, right? Which is better, or the second draft? I don't know. Amen. There we go. Now you're with me. Let me give you something else in Genesis 2 that's important to this topic, too. Genesis chapter 2 um, is, um, is in this verse right here in 2.18. It says, the Lord God said, it's not good for this man to be alone. I will make him, what's this word right here? I will make him a helper. Now, a helper, I mean, how many of you want to be a helper? How many of you aspire to be a helper? Okay, I mean, okay there's a few. But I mean, it's not, not an overwhelming majority going like, oh, that's awesome, helper. I mean, helper kind of sounds like what you're trying, you know, you're trying to talk your kids into helping you do some yard work. Come on, you can be a helper. No, Dad, I don't want to be your helper, right? Or um, my brother John and I, we, we, we started the church together 30 years ago. And um, since I'm the older brother, I get to be the lead pastor. So that's the way that worked. And, uh, but John's really good about this because sometimes he doesn't get the credit, doesn't get the props that he deserves. And I remember one time we were, we were at a restaurant somewhere. We're, John and I are sitting together. And, and the, this family recognized us, and they had some friends with them. And they come over to us, and they want to introduce us to their friends. They say, oh, this is Dave. Dave is the lead pastor of our church. And then they gesture John, and they said, and John, he's his helper. <laughs> Which doesn't go over big with a younger brother. Uh, you know, so this helper thing, what is this? Actually, though, it's interesting, because I think that's what we hear. We hear helper, okay? But helper actually is this Hebrew word, azer. Say that after me, azer. Azer, right? This word azer is actually used over 100 times in the Old Testament. Guess who it most often refers to? Any guesses? Anybody? Yahweh, God himself. And when it refers to Yahweh, it refers to Yahweh's military or supernatural type support. It's not some kid doing yard work who's kind of just helping you out. Azer, okay, it is not a weak word. It's a word that describes a warrior God, one who comes to the rescue and keeps his nation safe. That's, Azer's a warrior. So if there's a lady sitting next to you, just turn to her and say, you are a warrior, all right? You are a warrior. <laughs> so that's Genesis 1, right? Then that's Genesis 2. Then we get to Genesis 3. We've seen this great creation, and now all of a sudden everything comes to a screeching halt, and we have the fall. Yahweh's dream for the way things are supposed to be between man and God, between mankind, man and woman, and all of creation, comes to a screeching halt. Everything is shattered as the man, the first man, the first woman, they decide they want to do their thing instead of doing God's thing. Now, this was a Sunday school story. Yahweh gave Adam and Eve, told him, hey, here's one rule. Don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. 
The snake comes along, tempts the woman to question God's goodness. She falls into the deception. She takes a bite, hands it to Adam. Adam joins her in disobedience. Now, even some scholars take a look at that and go, oh, well, woman, woman went down first. That must say something about women, right? That makes her responsible. Yet notice where the man is. Right here. He's right there with her. He's right there with her the whole time. And he did nothing to stop her. And he too, he ate the fruit without any resistance. And so what happens in that moment is both the woman and the man go against Yahweh's plan. And both of them experience the consequences of their action, which is from that point on the curse, the fall. Now, understanding that, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And then we fast forward to the rest of the Old Testament. Despite the sexist culture that we saw, like in a Genesis chapter 19 story, that emerged from the fall, what we see God doing is we actually see Yahweh empowering women to play prominent roles amongst his people. Think about this. Yahweh selects a female president, Deborah, who is the political leader of Israel as a prophet and would have been viewed as the spiritual leader for the entire nation. Yahweh raises up Rahab to assist Israelites in conquering Jericho. Yahweh then uses a wise woman named Abigail to advise the kings and the commanders. And he blesses Ruth for her courage and devotion. And it was through her bloodline that Jesus would be, would be birthed through Mary. And then he raises up Esther. Remember that story? For such a time as this. For such a time as this, she stood up and saved her people from genocide. And then Yahweh leaves heaven and comes to earth in the person of Jesus. And Jesus empowers women. And he continues this. And what we don't even fully, I think, understand in a completely countercultural kind of way. The first person he revealed that he was the Messiah to was a woman. It was countercultural even to speak to women. And he was consistently engaging them in conversation throughout his three years of earthly ministry and included them in his larger group of disciples. It was Mary of Bethany who was permitted to actually sit next to him and learn from him when women weren't allowed to do that during that time. And then when he came back to life from the grave, the first person he appears to is a woman, even though he knew that her testimony would not be allowed or submissible in a court of law. So Jesus comes to restore Yahweh's dream, both for men and for women. The early Christian leaders, they clearly get this teaching. That's why Paul, he writes these words. He says, listen, you're all children of God. Whose children? What's it say right there? All, we're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And so in that new church, that early church, there was Junia and Priscilla and Philip's four daughters who led and taught and prophesied in the early church. And yet despite, here's the thing, despite all that Yahweh did to empower women, despite all that Jesus did to empower women, despite all that the early church did to actually elevate women, we continue to perpetuate and experience the curse in a variety of ways today. We, uh, we asked just a few of the ladies that are part of our church staff here at Community, hey, just tell us your story. And here's what they said. I have an engineering degree from the University of Iowa, and my first job out of college was a technical sales job. I was hired for a training class, uh, and it happened to be that year six men and six women, and actually 
What I was told later was that I was the first woman they'd ever hired for that team. By May, I had already met my sales goals for the year and was looking forward to what um, the end of the year might bring. And then our management changed and I often found our new service manager in my office anytime I made a mistake, anytime things weren't exactly the way he wanted, um, yelling at me, um, just really creating this workplace environment that I wasn't comfortable with. When I went to talk to the branch manager, his response was really disappointing. He said, you know, we've talked about you and we just, we think you're too soft. And so it didn't matter that I was successful. Um, what mattered was that I wasn't tough enough. A number of years ago, I was preparing to move to the north side of Chicago. I was going to be the community pastor leading our, our first location there, the Lincoln Square location. We had to raise a lot of money to start that location. I, I can't remember, I think it was around four hundred dollars to $500,000 I was trying to raise. And about the same time, I had found out that my home church, the, the church I grew up in, had decided to close its doors. And of course, that was really sad to me, but the person who reached out to tell me that told me that they had $800,000 from the sale of the building that they were looking to give away to worthy causes. I contacted one of the women that I knew who was on the committee, and uh, the response I got was, first of all, don't call yourself a pastor. And over the weeks ahead, they really weren't getting back to me or, or uh, accepting my, my offer to come meet with them until eventually one of them reached out to me and told me they decided to give the money away to places that they knew. And it was a little weird because I thought, you've known me literally since the day I was born. A couple of years ago, I was leading a presentation in a room full of men. And I said something in the presentation that I didn't mean for it to sound inappropriate, but I could understand how it was interpreted as a sexually inappropriate comment. It wasn't meant to be that way, but I could also see how it was construed that way. And so we all got a good laugh about it in the meeting, and then I was ready to move on. However, the, the joke just kept going. People just kept talking about it to the point where after the meeting, I worked at my desk later in the afternoon, and it still just kept coming up by some of the guys that were in that meeting. And I thought I had made it clear that I did not feel comfortable with this anymore and it didn't seem to matter. So I finally just packed up my stuff and I went home for the day. The next day I received two phone calls from two of the guys that were sitting in the meeting and they apologized. Um, one of them even went on to say that he would not have wanted his wife to have experienced that same thing. And I appreciated that because it validated how I was feeling. Yahweh's dream, God's dream from the very beginning has always been that both men and women could flourish using all their gifts to make a difference just the way God had given them. Um, let, let me tell you a little bit of our story around here and even my own story. Um, when we started Community 30 years ago, this was kind of a question about women in leadership. And so we assembled a, what we called a leadership advisory team and we spent two years we spent two years studying the Bible, talking to people we respected, reading books, doing everything we possibly could. And at the end of that two years, uh, we came to the conclusion that we really believed women, according to the Bible, should be empowered to serve using whatever gifts God decided to give them. And, and I want you to know something, too. The intention of that team, it wasn't, there was no intention of us like, oh, let's try to be progressive Let's try to advocate feminism or any of those kind of things. We were, our sole commitment was let's stay true to what God's word has to say. And um, 
not long after that, I started hearing from other church leaders who were wrestling through this. And they said, hey, could you come and talk to us about, about this on this particular topic? And um, I declined. And I remember specifically telling them, I said, you know what? Um, this is not the hill I want to die on. I mean, my cause and our cause, we're about helping people find their way back to God. And that was my thinking. That was my thinking until, uh, until um, my oldest, my daughter Amy, started looking for colleges. Uh, like many 18-year-olds, she wasn't sure exactly what she wanted to do, but one of the possible majors she had was she thought about doing student ministry because she'd been so impacted by what had happened here. And that was kind of towards the top of her list of interests. So <clears throat> with that as a strong consideration, we began to look at Christian colleges. And we said, okay, we want two things then. We want one that has a, a strong commitment to the authority of the Bible. And then secondly, one that would encourage her as a female leader. And we started visiting colleges. And what became quickly clear as we visited college after college, it was going to be nearly impossible to find a school that would meet both of those expectations. And there was somewhere in there where it got personal for me and something I think um, God began to change me. And this issue of women being able to use their gifts if they're gifted as leaders went from being something that wasn't just from 30 years ago, theologically right, but not necessarily mission critical to fight for. But all of a sudden it was going like, no, this is not only theologically right, but this is critical for accomplishing the mission. And it was, it was like, kind of like my eyes were opened. And what I began to realize is, oh my gosh, only, only about 50% of the leaders that God has gifted for the mission are being mobilized and being equipped to advance the Jesus mission. And it was like I didn't know it before. And, I, I, and as I looked at the broader church, I was going, I looked at the broader church, and I was going like, it's like the church is kind of like almost trying to show off. Oh, look, we can do this with one hand tied behind our back. And it was ridiculous. And I began to look at the world, I think, maybe for the first time. Uh, through the eyes of my daughter or my wife or other women. And I saw the limited possibilities and I think that's when I became both personal and emotional. Let me give you a couple challenges, okay? You up for a couple challenges? You up for a couple challenges? All right, here we go. Number one, let's don't perpetuate the curse. Let's don't perpetuate the curse. Let's listen and look for the subtle and not subtle ways that we contribute to perpetuating the curse, where we ignore or diminish the voices or accomplishments of women. When we do that, we prolong the curse. And when we overlook women, when considering leadership opportunities, and sometimes their unique skill set, we perpetuate the curse. And so let's determine we're going to call out remnants of the curse when we see it in the church, or we see it in culture, or we see it in ourselves. And refuse. I'm, we're not going to accept that, oh, that's just the way it is. Because that is not the way God in his dream meant for it to be. Let's don't perpetuate the curse. Second challenge. Let's partner. Let's partner to restore God's dream. Ladies, with your permission, I'd like to just say something directed towards you. That voice that sometimes is inside your head that whispers, you can't, 
and sometimes whispers you don't belong that you shouldn't that is not the voice of God that is not the voice of God and I want to encourage you and charge you to step into all that God created you to be and stop carrying the limitations of the curse and don't put those limitations on other women You cheer for each other, you encourage one another, and you never forget that you were made in the image of God. And not only that, but that you have, you have, you have unique and special gifts that God has given you. And without the use of those gifts, the mission's not going to be accomplished. And you just, you be all that God created you to be. And let me say something to the guys. The guys in the room, I'll tell you what, what I'm, what I'm discovering over and over again, I mean, it matters to women that we stand with them and that we stand for them, just like Jesus stood with women in his day. And often in our culture and the church, I mean, we still, okay, both places, we still hold a lot of the positions of power. And so I'm asking, will you use your position to help restore God's dream? Will you listen to the women around you and speak up and advocate for your sisters? Why? For only one reason, because that's what Jesus did, and he calls us to follow his example. And here's the thing, too. I I, want to be clear that we are not perfect at community, but I am thankful that we're a place where both men and women can use the gifts that God has given them to contribute to the mission. I am thankful for our sister warriors who God is using in powerful ways to lead here in community. Like you get to benefit from Sherry Benke, who teaches up here on Sundays sometimes. You get to benefit from Amy Plummer. Some of you know Amy, who leads our community 412 ministry across all of our locations and our community freedom ministry to start new churches and prisons. Some of you have been dramatically impacted by my wife, Sue, who for the last 30 years has been led in women's ministry in small groups. You guys get to benefit from an Evelyn Catasio who not only sings like an angel, but also is re- raising up a whole generation of, of worship leaders. You've, you've, you maybe don't know this, but you've benefited from a Mary Ledden, who's a part of our, our eldership and our leadership commission, or my assistant, Pat Masick, who also oversees all of our prayer teams across all of our, our locations here at Community, and the many women who are leading in so many other ways that go on and on and on. And here's the challenge, Okay. Let's not stop until every little girl that grows up in this church knows they have the opportunity to fully develop and exercise their God-given gifts. And that every girl somewhere down the road would actually laugh, would laugh at the idea that gender might somehow have limited her opportunities to contribute to the mission of Jesus. And I'll tell you what, when you look at the whole of, of Scripture, is God sexist? Absolutely not. Yahweh is empowering. Jesus is empowering. And I think he challenges us from the very first page of Scripture to join him in this mission of restoring God's dream for the world. And that's who I want us to be. I'll tell you what, let's pray together. Father God, I want to say thank you. Thank you for the way that you so clearly painted the picture, and you described in your word your dream for this world, your dream for all of eternity. And Father, I ask that you help us, empower us through your spirit to work and to partner together to fulfill your dream. Let us be a group of people that actually reverse the curse and encourage every man and every woman 
every little boy and every little girl to become all that you meant for them to be. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.